to the AO Trauma North America Mentor-Mentee Interview Series. I'm Stephen Scheinman, an orthopedic trauma surgeon at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. Thank you for tuning in. I would like to remind you that the video recordings of the Mentor-Mentee interviews are available on the AO Trauma North America YouTube channel. And don't forget to check out other Mentor-Mentee interviews on the AO Trauma North America Spotify channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to AO North America Mentor Mentee uh, interview session with the great Dr. Jim Kellum. Uh, I am Tom Large uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Dr. Kellum has been in Toronto and Charlotte and now Houston. Uh, his resume is uh, truly mind-boggling, uh, but uh, in the least includes stints as president of the OTA and the AO Foundation. He was my attending as a resident in Charlotte. And it's my distinct pleasure and honor to do this with him. I thought we would get started with the uh, little known fact about Dr. Kellum that he was a top 10 draft pick in the Canadian Football League professional uh, football draft. Uh, can you tell us about that? Oh, Tom, I, this gets too much publicity in my old age. But so, yeah, so I played some college football in Canada and was a, in the first couple of people that drafted in my draft year. The only problem with my career in pro football was is I wanted to go and do another year in college um, because at that point I was headed to a PhD in biochemistry and I wanted some money for tuition. So I had a $1,500 signing bonus condition. And unfortunately, the Hamilton Tiger Cats at that time didn't need Canadian linemen. You have to understand the CFL and how it works. But they had a bunch of naturalized Americans playing offensive line, and I was hardly needed. And so after many months of some very nice dinners in Toronto's best, finest hotels and restaurants, we couldn't con get a contract signed. So I said, I'm going back to school. And they said, get, well, you realize, Dr. Cowan, or at that time, you realize, Jim, that by not signing a contract and having been drafted, you will be suspended from all pro football for a year in the world. And I looked at them and I said, ooh, that is a significant event in my life. I will take it. <laughs> so I got suspended from the CFL and the NFL and any other, other known football team that was ever playing in the rest of the country for a year. But after a year, then, then I went, never went back, but that was my pro football career. So there you go, uh, yeah. audience, top five yeah. draft pick yeah. and suspended yeah. by the Canadian football league. football league. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, what? all pro football, <laughs> all, all pro football. That's right. So how, how then did you, uh, end up down a pathway, uh, towards orthopedic surgery and, and ultimately orthopedic trauma? So it, it goes back to the fact that when I was, Coming out of high school, I was I wanted to be a teacher, and I, and so I was headed. And I wanted to, wanted to be a phys ed teacher. My phys ed teachers told me I was too smart to be a phys ed teacher. And you have to understand, in the province of Ontario, in the nineteen late sixties, early seventies, most people knew everybody. And these guys said, "Well, we'll make sure you don't get into any phys ed faculty. You should go be a doctor." And that sounded like a pretty good deal. So I applied to medical school and I got into medical school in three schools in Ontario, except for the University of Toronto. The only problem was that University of Toronto said I could play football and start and the other schools didn't. So I 
went into science in University of Toronto, spent a few years there, went, decided to be a PhD in biochemistry, realized that wasn't where I really wanted to be. And in the meantime, I then repurposed re my life and went into medical school and went through medical school. I quickly realized that <clears throat> surgery was where I wanted to be. And basically through the usual fact of running into numerous people, particularly when I played, I got the classic football injury in the knee and I met you know, a few doctors who were orthopedic surgeons and all of that. And then um, I was doing an elective in my fourth year and a very famous pediatric orthopedic surgeon at that time, Norris Carroll was, he went to Chicago later, but he was there, became very influential and very impressive in making me think I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, which then I went into and came out of medical school and then applied to orthopedics, got in orthopedics and that's how I sort of did it. Uh, orthopedics was chosen because it was one of the, you know, the specialty that where I felt you could do the most and where you had a tremendous amount of patient contact involvement. And then that's where my career went from there. So it was sort of bouncing around a bit, fate directed. Did you have other uh, early mentors in uh, trauma that led you down that pathway and ultimately to Sunnybrook or how did that happen? So not, not really. Um, at that time, there was no such thing as an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Um, most people were orthopedic surgeons and fractures were what you did and uh, you did them whenever. And so when I went through my training, I certainly enjoyed, and one of the things I had enjoyed all along in this was I liked the critical care aspects of things. I liked sort of the medical side of it and that. And, and so I kept looking for something that would combine, you know, critical care, sick patients or surgery. And interestingly enough, I ended up going to Sunnybrook as my last rotation as a resident for six months. And they had just opened up the trauma center there for about a year or so. And I suddenly realized where I was going to be because that gave me everything I wanted. I sick patients, you had critically ill patients, you had uh, you know, great surgery, different kinds of operations that you were doing. You were doing something worthwhile. And then I stayed there as a fellow. And I was, was sort of one of these strange things. I was a super near fellow. In fact, I was the spine fellow, believe it or not. The only reason was I had to do one office a week for one of the spine surgeons. So that's a, so he could have a fellow to do that office. But the rest of the time I had nothing to do. I wasn't assigned. So basically I got an OR and was doing all the fracture work that was coming into the trauma center. So I'd tile and a few other people around and basically it was it. So I suddenly started to pick up my career. And that's when I realized that there was a place to be. And at that point, the concept of orthopedic trauma was beginning to be developed. You were beginning to see it happen. Uh, Bob Meek in Vancouver was beginning to do it. And then you had the, you know, Browner and Burgess and a few people in Baltimore. And you began to see it coming. So I made the decision at that point was that was where I was going to go. And then I, at that point, ran my fellowships that way and came back. Were you in practice for a few years before you went to Harborview then after kind of uh, latching on to the orthopedic trauma concept a bit? No, um, I, I wasn't. So I, I finished my fellowship. So I did my, finished my residency, went to Sunnybrook for a year, as I say, as the fellow. And then during that year, orchestrated several, another year of fellowships. 
And that was where I went. I ended up in Switzerland and I ended up at, um, in um, Harborview at the same time. And I also supposedly at that point was coming back to another hospital within Toronto who were going to develop a trauma program, but I also had to do some sports medicine. So as a little known secret, I am also sports medicine trained. I don't let it know very often. So. I, won't, I won't let anybody know your, your secret is safe with me and yep. the rest of the YouTube audience here. That's right. It, that yeah. was the time when you looked through the tube. There you, there you go. That's coming back now, I understand. Is, oh, is it? <laughs> In office arthroscopy. Uh, who did you learn the most from, from your career, during your career? Oh, who did you learn the most from? God. Um, I probably, I think in all honesty, it's, it's many people you learn. It's, it's a hard thing to put down to it. You, you, you learn, you continually learn. So you're constantly learning something all the time. And, and as you start off, obviously as a resident, you learn a tremendous amount very fast. But I think people who sort of um, gave you the most would have been um, one man who became very good friend and mentor from my point of view was a guy named Gordon Hunter, who um, I shared an office with for a long time. He taught me a lot about basic orthopedics, about life, etc. And then um, Marv Tile would have to play a big role in that as, as a trainee going through that. And then the other person who taught me a lot about orthopedics were, uh, was Joe Schatzker, who came into our place um, as the chief of orthopedics later on when I was attending. And so you got to learn a lot about thought processes and, and in there. And as well, these guys also were very good in showing you what, how, how to live your life as well. So I, I have to give those people credit. There are a whole bunch of other people. I learned a lot from, you know, Harborview. I spent time in, in Europe with Arson Gross. I spent time with Peter Matter. Um, and everywhere you go, you know, you can you sit there and you learn, you've learned something else, you know. Um, it's a uh, thing I got, I remember you talk about learning is um, years ago and when I was doing pediat our pediatric rotation, we used to have to take every kid to the OR and put them to sleep to do a closed reduction at sick kids in Toronto. And so one night I was two o'clock in the morning, I was doing this, you know, sort of simple distal radius fracture and Mer a guy named Mercer Rang, who probably people haven't heard of, but Mercer comes in and he walks in the into the OR and I turned him I said Mercer what are you doing here at two o'clock in the morning he goes and looks at me and he says Jim I have never regretted coming and doing anything because I've always learned something from it so I never forgot that well wow. so so it's it's something that's always stuck you may remember I was always around no matter what it was when you guys were around so that's why because I was learning something from you <laughs> so <laughs> Nothing good, probably. But, oh uh, no, no! You learn. You, well, you learn a lot. You learn. What was he doing there? How can I teach that better? You know. Absolutely. What kind of case did you fi find the most challenging uh, during your career? I think the hardest thing to do is to breed a tibia or to breed an open fracture. To tell you the honest truth, um, you know, it depends where you are and what it is. But in order in, to to make those decisions as to what goes, what doesn't go to plan what you're going to do next. It's sort of an evolution. This is a patient that you've got for a while and you're trying to evolve the care through it and go from there. And so the whole open fracture treatment is to me, 
I think one of the hardest and most difficult things to, to really do well and to plan well. And that's always been something that I've always found interesting and, and you're gonna put hardest. I think it's to me the hardest thing to figure out how I'm gonna get where I wanna get at the end of it. You know, most other things, most other fractures you can look at and most malunions, non-unions, yeah, they're hard, okay? But it's usually I plan this, I do this, I get that result. Whereas the open, as you know, in the open fracture, well, I'll do this and oh, next time it's not so like, and then the next time it's full of pus and you're going, wait a minute, this is, you know, and, and so it's this evolution of care that to me is makes it the hardest part. Yeah, trying to plan two, three uh, procedures ahead of time, time and also sometimes take some calculated gambles yeah, along the that's way. Right. Yeah. That's right. I didn't realize maybe I failed the last time. So, <laughs> What is your proudest accomplishment or your best paper or your best mentee that you're most proud of? You can pick which you want to answer. Well, what am I most proud of? Um, I think I'm most proud of the people I educated. Um, it, it's hard to sit there and say, I'm most proud of that. I'm most proud of that. But to me, my you know, reason to be in this was to try to transfer what orthopedic trauma is, what it is, what it is to be a surgeon, what it is to be a physician. And to see people leave that, take that, and make a success of their lives, to me makes, you know, that's what I become most proud of. You know, I, there's, there's all sorts of people. I'm, you know, I'm very proud of everything that our fellows and our residents have accomplished over the period of time. So I honestly can't really pick one person and I would feel very, I'd be very remiss to, to try to do that because each one of them have carried out, you know, have, have been successes wherever they've wanted to go get down to my best paper and, and those I did with Roy Mowood um, back when I, I had just finished and was an attending. He was a fellow and that was the open <clears throat> forearm paper in which, um, you know, granted it wasn't our thought, we're the ones who put it together, et cetera. It was basically running off Hanson Tile and a few people's thoughts about immediate fixation, but it did change the care of that fracture. Um, from that point of view, that's a long, long time ago. So you think I'd have a better paper after that, but so, so you know, but there's, there's all sorts of things. And, you know, it's hard to see you, you look around and try to figure out, well, what did I write that really made a difference to anybody? And the answer is, yeah, probably not much. <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe along those lines to really put you on the spot, what's your biggest failure or regret? I guess in what, if in your look in my career, I think if I have one regret, I had the opportunity to um, become a chair in a department at that time back in Canada. And rightly or wrongly, um, it conflicted with other things. And uh, I'm not sure it was a failure, but I, after going through this all and got being chosen and then telling my family this was a good thing and what we should do, and they all congratulated me on it and announced that I would be more than happy to go there to have me there, but they were all staying in Charlotte. <laughs> I, I would have liked to have tried that, but then after that, I gave it the, that idea up. But, you know, from all honesty, um, I've been, I, I've, I've been pretty happy with what I've done. Yeah. If you had to hire a junior partner, what qualities would you look for in him or her? I think the most important um, thing from my point of view, and this is, this is giving um, sort of assuming, okay, that when you look at it, that you're academically credible and well-trained, okay? 
that's sort of taken for for granted that you're looking from that point of view. Um, but I think it is is a is a person who is um, someone who you feel comfortable with that you can work with, um, and who has an open mind, and also is someone who is willing to challenge you. I think one of the most important parts of junior faculty or junior or hiring individuals is to hire someone who you know can do the job and who you can trust, but most importantly, will push you. And the other thing in this is somebody, as I say, who you have confidence in that you are able to put and has a career goal that you're able to take. Because to me, as a senior member or a senior person, my role is to create an environment for my junior partners to excel in and whatever that is, and they've got to be able to understand that and pick that up. So I look upon it if I'm hiring somebody, somebody who's gonna be a team player, somebody who's got career goals, knows where they're going and they're reasonable and they are inquisitive and willing to stand up and speak up and, and you know, take, take me to task is what I look at. I think technology, artificial intelligence, computer navigation, 3D printing, and or tissue engineering, artificial or enhanced bone grafts, scaffolds, regenerative medicine is gonna have a great role in the future of orthopedic trauma or having lived through, I'll call it the disappointment of BMP, um, is, the, is the cost greater than the benefit? They're all going to be important in, I think, um, the evolution of orthopedic trauma. I think what is important is to understand their development and when they are useful to you. You know, BMP probably appeared far too early. We didn't understand it. It gets thrown on the market. Um, and then basically it gets, you know, we don't know because everybody used it. Did it work here? It didn't work here. Did it get mixed with this? It got done with that. There was no science. There was no logical way of doing it. And to me, that's the big problem. It's not so much the technology is bad, but what's bad is how it's introduced and how it's brought to, to the forefront. And that's what kills it, okay? is that you see a lot of good things come, come along and they get dumped on. Okay? And they're not done correctly. They're not introduced correctly. They're too early. You know, like if you listen to some people, if you're talking about tissue engineering, um, you know, tissue engineering is probably 10 to 20 years away. If you listen to the guys who do it, Dave Granger and stuff in Utah, basically 10 to 15 years away from having anything that is at all useful for us. Now, when you turn around, you're going to say, well, it's all there right now. Well, the answer is no, it isn't. Because nothing they're doing right now in tissue engineering, does it really work? I'm not impressed by the results I see. Yeah, people dabble in it, but that's where the problem comes in. And I think so. I think it's all important, but I think we have to be very careful on how we introduce it and how we look at it and how we make it evolve and, and going and, and not, you know, the problem is it becomes a marketing gig. It's money in people's pockets and that's what kills it. Yeah, I was just going to say the money in the marketing gets ahead of the science. Right. Well, we are going to close out with a rapid fire session. I think this is going to be fun. This is a yes or no question. In a, in a direct reduction, should I clean out the fractured hematoma to make the fracture reduction perfect? 
or should I accept a slight malreduction and leave the hematoma alone? No, get rid of the hematoma. What do you want a hematoma for? It's not the way the bone's healing with a direct reduction. All right. What's your favorite tool or instrument in the operating room? Cobb. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke, by all means, zero Coke. <laughs> I have one right here. What's one thing young surgeons do wrong in the operating room? Uh, what's one thing they do wrong? Um, failure to plan. Excellent. What's the favorite, your favorite place you have traveled? Oh, I think my most favorite place is Ireland. Uh, in this uh, era of physician burnout, uh, what is the secret to the longevity of your career? Okay, that, it's, that's an interesting thing. I think the, the secret, there are two things. One, from my point of view, is remembering why I'm where I am. And that is for the patient. And if you can remember that the patient is your icon, it's your, it's your lighthouse in the storm that you're providing it. The rest of the stuff around it, yes, some of it gets here. Yes, it's this, and yes, it's bad. But understand that when you go and see a patient, you see a good result, a bad result, realize what you're doing and you're helping. And the second side of that is having somewhere outside of medicine that is a safe harbor in the storm. And I don't care. I have my family and that's where I can disappear. You know, now they're all everywhere else, but you know, I can go home at night. Now I'm not in the same boat as I was, but even so before I can go home at night and put my feet up and talk to my wife who refuses to talk to me about orthopedics. And so I can't talk to her about orthopedics. So suddenly the life is different. I'm in a new realm and a new area. And I think those are the two important things that keep you going is, is your patience and having somewhere that you can get rid of and do it and establishing your life that, that, that you can do that. And that was to me an important thing in Charlotte that we had. So those are the two things that I think have kept me from burning out over whatever it is, 40 years. Yeah, great advice. Uh, outstanding uh, pearls of wisdom uh, here and uh, really appreciate your time today and uh, hope I'll be seeing you and uh, shaking your hand soon. Good, good. I look forward to it and thank you very much for inviting me to do this. Um, I've enjoyed it very, very much and it's a true honor to do it. I'm humbled, so thank you. Mm -hmm.